During the summer, between my first and second year at Moody Bible Institute, I had the privilege of going to Zimbabwe, Africa to teach at a Bible college. That experience marked my life and my ministry in countless ways. One of the memories I have is how dark it was there at night. We were out in a rural area. There were no streetlights, no neon signs. When the sun went down, it was pitch dark. During the first week, we had an activity at the school at night, and when it was over, I headed to the dormitory where I was sleeping at night. It was about a quarter of a mile away, and I don't know how it happened, but I got separated from others, and I found myself walking in deep darkness across a soccer field. I felt disoriented. I felt afraid. I felt distressed, and I felt so alone. Now, I knew the dorm was at the end of the field, but I couldn't see anything. If I put my hand up in front of my face, I couldn't even see my hand. And so I just kept walking, slowly, slowly, listening for the sounds and making my way, hoping I'd find some sort of light to guide my way. And as I got closer, I saw the faint glowing of a classmate's flashlight, and I made my way back. Over 20 years ago, National Geographic ran an article with this headline, The Power of Light. The introduction to that article got my attention. Quote, light reveals the world to us. Body and soul crave it. Light sets our biological clocks. It triggers in our brains the sensations of color. Light feeds us, supplying the energy of plants to grow. It inspires us with special effects like rainbows and sunsets. Light gives us life-changing tools from incandescent bulbs to fiber optics. Scientists don't fully understand what light is or even what light can do. They just know that it will illuminate our future. This past week, I did a search. I typed in that same title, The Power of Light, and I came across another article that incorporated some new discoveries. Here's an excerpt. There has been light from the beginning. Actually, light was created on day one, which we'll see. In all its forms, visible and invisible, it saturates the universe. No one is exactly sure how to describe it. It's a measure of light's importance in our daily lives that we hardly pay any attention to it. Light is almost like air. It's a given. A human would no longer, would no more linger over the concept of light than a fish would ponder the notion of water. There are exceptions, certain moments of sudden appreciation when a particular manifestation of light, a transitory glory appears, a rainbow, a sunset, 
a pulse of heat lightning in a dark sky, the shimmering surface of the sea at twilight. Usually, though, we don't see light. We merely see with it. Well, we're continuing in our series. We're in the very first chapter of Genesis. We're calling it Back to the Beginning. Last week, we camped in the very first verse, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Someone told me right before the service wondered if the service sermon today would be like three hours long, since last week we just took one verse, and this week we have verses two through five. I said, I don't think so, but maybe. We'll see how that goes. We discovered this truth. Genesis has a big beginning Because God is a big God. Our topic today is light in the darkness. Our text is found in Genesis chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. I'm going to invite you to stand if you're able, and let's read this reverently together. Genesis chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. You can be seated. After pondering this passage, I wrote down this summary sentence, when God says it, that settles it. And we're going to walk through this passage phrase by phrase, and I invite you to worship while we do so. I like how one pastor captured this account. The creation story is cast in the form of a prose poem It's written in terse, controlled phrases with rhythmic repetitions. The slow ascent of the cosmic drama culminating in the creation of humankind. Let's look at these phrases now. First, let's look and consider the setting. In verse 1, we see God created the universe. In verse 2, we begin with this vivid description of the situation on earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Without form refers to a wasteland. It means empty, barren, formless, while void means a lack of boundary, order, or definition. On top of the empty formlessness, deep darkness was upon the face of the earth. Darkness symbolizes disorder, uncertainty, The deep refers to this heaving abyss, this primeval ocean as it roared and raged. One commentator describes earth at that time as shapeless as liquid water. Jeremiah 4.23 pictures a coming catastrophe like the undoing of creation. I looked on the earth and behold, it was without form and void into the heavens, and they had no light. Now, many planets in our system, in our solar system, are empty, deep, and dark. For example, Jupiter is composed primarily of 90% hydrogen, 10% helium. One source referred to it as this turbulent 
stormy whirlpool of wind. So similar to Jupiter, the earth back then was uninhabitable, uninhabited, unfinished, unfilled before Elohim, God, fashioned it. In addition, would you note, it was dark, and it was desolate, and it was deep before his design was fully developed. I find it fascinating how the opening of Genesis speaks of darkness and the deep. And at the very end of the Bible, we read that there'll be no more seas and no more darkness, Revelation 21. Now, as we journey through the six days of creation, we're going to see two triads. God formed creation on days one through three, and then he filled it or finished creation on days four through six. Last week, I mentioned this helpful phrase from commentator Matthew Henry, God created the frame and the furniture of the universe. Isaiah 45, 18, he did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. Notice next, God's spirit. God is not this detached deity who's far away and he's removed and he just kind of flung things into existence from a distance. No, he's not just this cosmic force. Oh, this is beautiful. He's intimately involved, personally involved as he took what was formless and empty and he filled it with his furniture. Look at the last part of verse two. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The word here for spirit is wind or breath. The idea that the Holy Spirit is hovering, well, it creates this sense of expectation that something big is about to happen. The Holy Spirit is attentive and poised for action. In the darkness, there's movement as the Spirit goes back and forth, watching and waiting to reveal himself in this explosion of light. One pastor points out a progression in the three parallel clauses. First, the negative. The earth was without form and void. Then this kind of ambiguous darkness was over the face of the deep. And then the hopeful and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Interestingly, in Genesis 1.1, the word creative is in the simple completed form. In verse 2, the word hovering is in the intensive form, meaning the Spirit was moving continually, continuously. I'm reminded that the Holy Spirit is described as a dove hovering or coming down upon Jesus at his baptism, Matthew 3.16, behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Hovering is a beautiful word in Hebrew. It means to flutter or fly. In Deuteronomy 32.11, it's used to describe how a mother eagle cares for her little eaglets as she broods over them, providing care and personal protection. I, I like this paraphrase, like an eagle. She makes her young leave the nest to fly. She stays close to them, ready to help. She spreads her wing to catch them when they fall and carries them to a safe place. 
So over this primordial muck, God's spirit is moving. God, through his spirit, is personally present and ever attentive as he hovers over the unformed and lifeless material and then births it all into being. This is captured in Psalm 104.30, when you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. Don't miss this. He cares for his creation with tenderness, with compassion as he hovers, as he helps, and as he holds everything together like a hen caring for her chicks. Now let's pause here and let's consider why verse 2 is so important. And perhaps this would be an opportunity for you to apply this to your own life. Perhaps God wants us to know right at the beginning how he is personally present in the dark and disordered places in our lives. And some of you are like, man, there's a lot of darkness. I feel disoriented. Listen, he is king over the chaos. No matter what situation you find yourself in, when you're facing the unknown and the unpredictable, we need to know God is there in the dark, hovering over us and helping within us so we can trust him in the trying times. Now, it might appear that God is hidden, but he is always at work caring and preparing, longing to fill those empty, dark places, those spaces where where you just feel so alone. He's always at work to bring order to the disorder. And remember, Jesus willingly walked into the pitch-black wrath of God and stayed there until he finished his work when he became our substitute on the cross for all of our sins. Earlier this week, I posted a quote that I found very helpful. Perhaps you will as well. God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. I added these words, God is always at work, and sometimes we get to see it. When we don't see it, remember God is always at work. Jesus said it like this, John 5, 17, I and the Father are always at work. Trust in the providence of God, even when you can't feel the presence of God. And that's where some of you are at today. You're like, I don't feel him. I don't see it. I didn't ask for all of this. Listen, trust in him. Number three, God spoke. The story is told of a three-year-old boy crying in a dark room. He was at his aunt's house. So he cried out, Auntie! The boy cried, Please talk to me. I'm frightened. It's so dark. The aunt was in another room, and she answered and said, Well, what good would that do? You can't see me. To which the child replied, That doesn't matter. When you talk... It gets light. When you talk, it gets light. In verse 3, 
God talked and it got light. Notice it says, and God said, let there be light. That word said means willed, decreed, appointed. In my reading of Genesis chapter 1, every day this month, many of us are doing that. Every morning I read Genesis chapter 1. I'm also following the Bible reading plan, reading through the book of Genesis. So by the end of the month, we're finished with that. And on Monday, I was able to read the entire book of Genesis in one sitting. It took about three and a half Hours and I was motivated to do that by many of you who've already completed that. Here's something I didn't see until I started immersing myself in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, the phrase, and God said, is used 10 times in Genesis chapter 1. We could call these the Ten Commandments of Creation. Step by step, God brought shape and structure to his creation, all for his glory, to put his glory on display, and for our good. There's some common elements in the creation narrative. There's an introduction, and God said, And then the creative words, let there be, and then the fulfillment, and it was so. Often you see a name given, God called, and then this divine benediction, God saw that it was good. Interestingly, if you read ahead, at the end of the second day, he doesn't say it was good. I wondered why that was, but perhaps it's because the gathering together of the waters under the heavens is not concluded until the third day. Also, there's a phrase, God says it was very good. That phrase is reserved for the sixth day after God created man. And then you'll see a concluding formula, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day or second day or third day. In the original, only two words follow, and God said, here they are, light be. God speaks with authority, doesn't he? Light be. The same was said about Jesus in Mark one twenty-two. They were astonished at his teaching. Why? Because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. When I consider my own preaching, I realize I do a lot of quoting. Well, here's why. I'm simply a conduit. I want to quote what God said in the Scriptures. Other times I quote people with way more insight than I have. I very seldom just quote myself as an authority because I'm not all that smart, and neither are you. You see, God alone has ultimate authority. He says it, and it happens. Would you observe, all of this is effortless for Elohim. All he had to do was speak, and it came into existence. Can you do that? Can you speak in the poof? None of us can. Interestingly, the phrase, let there be light, is in the jussive mood. I didn't even know that was a mood. I had to look it up. So instead of an imperative, that's a command, the Joseph mood is softer. One commentator offers this this insight, God does not jerk the creation into existence, but speaks it 
gently into existence. Let there be light, and there was. Now, contrary to all other ancient accounts of the universe's origin, the God of the universe did not put forth extraordinary effort. He didn't have to fight another deity, and out of that came the earth. No, he simply spoke, and it came to be. We see this in Psalm 33, verse 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath, Of his mouth, all their host. The word for host can refer to the stars or to angels or both. Isaiah 55.11 reminds us God's word always accomplishes its purposes. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. It shall accomplish that which I propose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Mark this down. When God says it, that settles it. And that leads us, number four, to God settled it. Look at the second half of verse three. And there was light. God declared it and it was done. As king over the chaos, he spoke his word, and the world was created. John 1.14 tells us this word was Jesus through whom God created the world. All three members of the Trinity were actively involved in the creation of the world. Listen to these worshipful words penned by a pastor. Christ created the cosmos and died on a cross to call you out of chaos and make you a citizen of his city. Let's go back to verse 3. Let there be light, and there was light. It reads literally like this. Light be, and light was. Psalm 33, 9, For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Now, it's not surprising. For God's first creative act to provide light. Why? Well, because there can be no visibility and no viability of life without it. We need light to see, and we need light to live. Without light, there can be no order. Now, some critics have questioned how God could create light on the first day since he didn't create the sun, the moon, and the stars until the fourth day. I think the answer is quite simple. Because God is himself light, according to 1 John 1, 5, and Jesus is the light of the world, according to John 8, 12. He doesn't need the heavenly light to give light because he himself is light. One translation of Psalm 76, 4 says, you are resplendent with light. In addition, according to Revelation 21, 23, in the new heaven and the new earth, the city of Jerusalem will have a holy light source, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the lamp. All this helps us see how there could be light without light. When God says it, that settles it. Check out this formula in chapter 1, verse 3, let there be light, and there was light. 
verse 7, and it was so, verse 9, and it was so, verse 11, and it was so, verse 15, and it was so, and verse 24, and it was so. He spoke, and stars filled the sky. He spoke, and the birds began to fly. He spoke, and he made you and I. That's as far as I got in my poetry (laughs) there. (laughs) Next, God saw. This is beautiful. After creating light, it's as if God stepped back and observed what he had just created. And he broke out into this beautiful benediction. Verse 4, and God saw that the light was what? Good. That word is richly nuanced. It means abundant, useful, pleasant, appealing, and right. You know, humans have created some beautiful buildings, some fantastic artwork, amazing music, landscaping, bridges. I mean, we have a group of women who are involved in Bible art journaling, and some of the things they do is incredible. But most of what we create is ultimately flawed or will rust or run down or break down. Now, I know I'm not very good at creating things. When I try, it ends up looking like this dad's creation. (laughs) It says this, my daughter wanted this dog cake for her birthday. I'm thinking, why pay $50 to have it done professionally when I can do it even better myself? (laughs) That's how mine would look for sure. Number six, God separated. Watch this, because light is good. God created a divide between light and in darkness. Oh, join me in verse 4. We'll see it there. And God separated the light from the darkness. To separate means to set apart. The principle of separation is stated throughout Scripture. Abraham was to separate from Ur. The church is to be separate from the world. John 17, believers are to be separated from sin, 2 Corinthians 6. 1 Peter 2.9 says believers are to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of, listen for it, out of darkness into his marvelous light. And God pronounces judgment on those who juxtapose these clear distinctions. Isaiah 5 verse 20, that's what the word woe means, judgment upon you. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put, notice, darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. When God says it, church, that settles it. Number seven, God summoned in the ancient Near East to name something was a mark of ownership or lordship. So in the Old Testament, kings had the sovereign right to assign names, like in 2 Kings 24, the king of Babylon made a guy named Mataniah. He changed his name to Zedekiah. Well, here God exercises his naming rights as king of the universe. Look at verse five, God called, he's naming here, God called the light day, 
and the darkness he called night. To call means to summon, declare, or name. Uh, We've experienced that here in our community just recently as the Tax Slayer Center has now become the vibrant arena. Now, they had to pay a good amount of money for that privilege, but God has naming rights to everything in the world because he already owns everything. God later delegated the naming of animals to Adam, Genesis 2, 19 and 20, and Adam also named the first woman, he called her Eve, Genesis 3.20. In Hebrew, the word day signifies warmth or heat, while the word night refers to a rolling up. We're beginning to experience that now as our nights are getting colder. Number eight, God supplied. As a gift to his creation, God designed and determined a 24-hour rhythm. We see this in the second half of verse 5, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. In the Hebrew world, a new day began when the sun went down. Incidentally, the Bible's clear that God created the world in six literal 24-hour days. The Hebrew word for day, yom, when linked to numerical adjectives, always refers to a 24-hour period. So consider this thought. Every morning, day one of creation is repeated. That's why we like sunrises so much. It gives us this fresh opportunity to rehearse God's faithfulness. With that in mind, and this passage in my mind this week, I visited somebody in the hospital, and I went to Lamentations chapter 3, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Well, we've seen a progression in these opening verses. We started with God's setting and then introduced to God's spirit hovering. God spoke, that settled it. God saw, he separated, he summoned, and he supplied. When God says it, that settles it. A boy heard in Sunday school that Jesus was the light of the world. After class, he made his way up to the teacher. And he said, teacher, if Jesus really is the light of the world, I I wish he'd come hang out in my house. It's awfully dark where I live. Is it dark where you live? Have you been compromising, caving, doing deeds of darkness in the dark where you think nobody else sees? Are you just kind of living and stumbling around in the dark? Many years ago, when we were organizing one of our file cabinets, I came across some love letters from Beth (laughs) that I had kept since we were dating. And when I found this folder, I immediately sat down in the middle of the floor and I just started browsing through them. My favorite letter is dated June 30th, 1983, and was sent to me by Beth when I was in Zimbabwe. 
You see, Beth and I had met and become good friends the previous semester when we were at Moody, and even though I had wanted to date her, she had not yet seen the light. (laughs) Things didn't look very promising. Didn't look very promising at all. Why? Well, she was going out with this dweeb from another, <laughs> from another college. On top of that, at the end of that school year, she was planning to transfer to nursing school in the fall, and there was a big chance we would never see each other again. So anyway, during the spring, I found out that she had broken up with her boyfriend, Actually, I pestered her roommate almost every day (laughs) until she spilled the beans. I had been praying for that relationship to rupture, and I was thrilled when it dissolved. (laughs) But instead of immediately asking Beth if she wanted to go out, I decided to wait, and I just held on to the news myself. I thought that if she told me about the breakup, it would be a signal or a sign that she might be interested in me. Well, I found out about it in March. She didn't say anything. (laughs) April came and went. May went by quickly, and then I left for Africa in June. We both thought we would write during the summer, but I seriously doubted if I would ever hear from Beth again. When I'm in the middle of Zimbabwe, I started receiving letters from her, and they were very encouraging. And then I received this four-page epistle that changed everything. Let me read her closing lines. I have her permission, by the way. She's down serving in the children's ministry this service, but she knows that I'm, gonna, I'm saying this. Here are her closing lines. Brian, one thing I may not have told you during spring semester, but the dweeb, that wasn't her word, that's my word, okay? She had the name of the guy there. This guy and I haven't been dating since about March. I mean nothing in telling you this other than just updating you because you are my brother and friend in Jesus, Beth. (laughs) I'll never forget what I did after reading that. I was sitting on a bed in this dormitory in the middle of Zimbabwe. A number of my students were hanging out with me, and I immediately started jumping up and down. And I'm like, yes, 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 she's finally seen the light. My African brothers started jumping up and down. They didn't even know what was going on. They were just enjoying the party. I then looked up and I saw Beth running toward me with her arm. Just kidding, that's from a movie. That's how some of you wanted it to go. (laughs) Listen, has the light gone on for you today? Has God used his word? Has the spirit hovered in your heart today? What has God said that you need to settle? God's already settled it, but for some of you, like, I still want to do this. Have you been doing some dark stuff? 
Rosaria Butterfield writes these words, if God is the creator of all things and if the Bible has his seal of truth and power, then the Bible has the right to interrogate my life and culture and not the other way around. Friend, if God says it, that settles it. Life begins at conception. You and I were made in his image, so we matter to him. God designed and assigned gender. Marriage is one man and one woman for life. Sin has infected and affected everyone since Adam and Eve disobeyed. Salvation comes only through Christ. God's commands are true and right. Judgment is certain. Eternity is real. And Jesus is coming again, and we better be ready. Friends, God has said it. And that settles it. Some of us are like, yeah, but, or my God wouldn't do that, or I want to have fun, or I'll get serious later. Listen, he said it. And that settles it. You're like, well, you got charged up there. Well, here's why. Because I hear Christians all the time say things like, well, God just wants me to be happy. And that's an excuse for sin. we got to stop that and start living like children of the light. Man, I just went to preach in there. John 3.19 says that we have a problem. Here's the problem. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And what? People loved the darkness feels good. They love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Jesus offers you light and life according to John 12, 46. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Listen to what Jesus said, John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. It's chilling. It should bother us deeply that those who refuse to believe and receive Christ will be cast forever into deep and desolate darkness. Well, Jesus said it like this, Matthew 25, 30, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jude is only one chapter long. It's nestled right before the book of Revelation, hard to find, very powerful. Listen to verse 13. It takes us back to Genesis chapter 1, describing the destiny of the godless, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, Wandering stars for whom the gloom of outer darkness, utter darkness has been reserved forever. Let's just settle this. Without spiritual light from God, we'll all die in the dark. Second Corinthians 4. And even if our gospel's veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers, they can't see, to keep them from seeing the light 
of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Maybe right now you're like, I'm tired of stumbling around in the dark. And you're like, I don't know where I'm going, but I keep running into things. If you're a Christian and you've been backsliding, it's time to repent and return to him. And you don't have to perform. You don't have to do penance. You don't have to make up for lost time. You just turn and you're back. That's good news. Perhaps you're not saved yet. You've not yet surrendered your life, repented of your sins, and trusted in Christ as your sacrifice, as the substitute, the one who paid for all of your sins so that you could live in light and not in darkness, and who rose again from a dark grave on the third day. I'm going to invite you to stand right now, and I don't know how the Holy Spirit is applying this message to your life, but I want to just allow some moments here for the Holy Spirit to work. And so I, I want, before I pray, before I say anything, let's just have a period of silence, which is hard for most of us, and just open yourself up to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your heart right now as a result of what we've heard together. Jesus, I'm tired of dwelling in the dark, of messing around in those things that don't honor you and only harm me. I confess that because of my sinfulness, I've just been stumbling through life. I repent of how I've been living. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into our world, for you are the light and for dying on the cross as my substitute for rising again on the third day. I believe that you are Lord and you are light, and I now receive you into my life. Please save me from my sins, be my Savior, and give me what I need to live under your leadership, bringing light to others who are living in darkness. Lord, I pray for that believer today who perhaps has been compromising, who has caved, who has been making behavior decisions or even thought, um, things happening in thought life and um, through words that come out of our mouths. Lord, we, we want to represent you well as we live in this dark and decaying world. So Spirit, hover a fresh blow within us, blow away the darkness, the sin, that we might be vessels of light, taking your light to a lost world around us. We commit ourselves afresh to you, praying again that you might revive us again, that we might rejoice in you. Use us now for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Have a good rest of the day.